to the Wander Learn Show. I'm your host, France Tapon. In this episode, I will be featuring Johnny Ward. It's going to be a series of interviews that I did in Mauritania. That's where we first met. He's a fascinating guy. He's traveled to every country in the world, but that's not all. He is trying to climb Mount Everest as we speak. So in April 2023, he's starting his climb, and by the end of May 2023, he should be ending his climb. Right now, he is just doing some practice climbs as we speak. I'm going to be giving out weekly updates on his progress up Mount Everest. And after those updates, we're going to feature some of the footage that we shot in Mauritania, some of that interviews. In this particular episode, he's going to be talking about rowing across the Atlantic Ocean with three other guys that he had never really met before. He had never been on a rowboat before, and this was his adventure. So. <laughs> This is a funny interview. It's a great interview of somebody who just closes his eyes and just dives. And that's kind of what he's doing on Everest. I mean, he has climbed some big mountains before, but Everest, it's another beast. Now, first of all, what's the longest distance you've ever rowed? Rowed? Rowed in a <laughs> rowing boat? Yeah. Uh, 5,000 kilometers, 3,000 miles. Damn. Yeah. So where were you going? <laughs> so that was a... Uh, well. It, it's not just a case of the, what's the longest I've ever rowed. That's the only row I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been in a rowboat before that or after it, actually. What the fuck were you thinking? <laughs> it was from essentially Europe to the Americas, but it was specifically it was Canary Islands off the coast of Africa mm -hmm. um, and Spain to Antigua and the Caribbean. What the fuck were you thinking? <sighs> Do you know, <laughs> I just actually spoke to a few guys about this. So obviously I got to know you through this. I was doing every country in the world and you were doing this every country in Africa thing. So mm -hmm. anyway, I finished that and then I wanted to, I always wanted to do some like crazy endurance stuff, like like world breaking endurance stuff. I, it was always on my mind. And then mm -hmm. when I was so obsessed with the every country in the world thing, I was just consumed by it, as you know, from your Africa yeah. adventure. So I couldn't do anything else, weddings, funerals, anything. Everything was just consumed by the every country thing. So as soon as I finished my every country thing, I had the opportunity to go and run a marathon at the North Pole. So I did that, right? And I thought I was this hardcore adventurer, North Pole marathon. And then when I was there, I met these guys and they were like, oh, North Pole marathon's easy. There's this marathon in the Sahara. You gotta do six marathons in six days called the Marathon de Sable. And I was like, shit, okay. Right, well, I'm gonna have to go and do that instead. So anyway, I signed up for that straight away and did that soon after. And then when I was on that, my tent mate was like, oh no, the Marathon de Sable is quite easy. Last year I rode across the Atlantic in a rowboat. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, okay, right, well, I'll do that then. So that's what happened. Okay. But I've got no history in boating and I can't really swim. And any, But I signed up for this Facebook group and then that's all about ocean rowing, it's called. Mm. And it's quite a small group, actually. It's quite a niche thing. Mm. Anyway, they had a trip going that last minute, which is kind of my nature anyway, and they needed two last minute people to do it. And I've mm. got no background in it. And I, I was honest with them and said, I don't really know anything about boats. I can't really swim, but I'm willing to do it. Right, and you're in shape. Yeah. I'd, At least I, you can run a marathon, which is absolutely useless <laughs> when you're on a boat yeah. where you can't even stand up and walk. <laughs> yeah, I'd been training for an ultra, so I was fit. Right. But actually, it turned out you don't actually have to be that fit. You just have to be... Stubborn. Mental. Right. Yeah. Which you became mental. Yeah, I became more mental. <laughs> I'm permanently scarred from it. But anyway, yeah, I signed up for it, and then two months later, I was in the boat, and that was it. So I was surprised. I mean, there's like four guys on this boat with you. Me and three guys, yeah. And I, think I mean, yeah, four. Yeah, four the easiest way to describe it, I know no one is here can see this, but it's like the space that you live in, the boat is like the length of a small room, 
like your bathroom at home, maybe double the length of your bathroom at home. And then the actual living quarters is like you and me shoulder by shoulder, really close to each other. And it's like living under a kitchen table for two months. The space is like under the size, but under, under a kitchen table. On your website, you have these great images of that. Yeah. <laughs> you can really see you're literally squeezed up right against your buddy who, who also hasn't showered for 60 days either. Yeah, yeah it's tough. <laughs> um, and then obviously you do, the system is there's four of you so you do two of you rowing so you're out and the elements exposed to the storms and everything mm-hmm. and you row for two hours and then the other two are living under the kitchen table in the little room beside you and then at, the, at two hours the buzzer goes and then you switch right um and you're always with the same pair yeah i mean sometimes people get injured and stuff so you have to chop and change a little mm-hmm. bit but generally you're with the same pair it's pretty weird and, were you and the I, youngest guy on the board yeah and okay. actually it's weird because you're on this tiny like 10 square meters or 100 square feet or whatever for two months and no electricity and no exercise apart from the rowing you don't stand up you don't see anyone else and because of the system of like two hours rowing two hours resting 24 hours a day all through the night you do it too you actually don't see the other two that much do you know what i mean even though you're there's four of you in this i wouldn't have thought about yeah yeah You, you only see them for like two minutes as you change shift and then you collapse and then you're like go and just be depressed in the room you have to eat too. This? don't you have to eat yeah so the two hours resting the first 10 minutes you take off all your wet gear because you went smashed in the face by waves and stuff mm-hmm. and then you spend like 10 15 20 minutes tending to all your wounds because you got loads of friction burns because you're constantly rowing mm-hmm. so you're putting on creams and antibiotics and all that kind of stuff and then you have to take like another 20 minutes to prepare your food because you burn 12,000 calories every day so you have to eat even though you're not hungry mm-hmm. everything tastes of salt you're in pain, you're tired, but you have to eat. Right. Um, Are so you sunburned too? I am. I'm from Ireland, so I'm right. sunburned. Every, <laughs> everyone else is okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, th- you put on, you la- you bathed in sunscreen every morning, yeah, I guess. Yeah. The other guys have just got their shirts off the whole time. I can only maybe do that for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. Is it that shit. hot? It's hot, yeah. But okay. it's, it's not so much the heat. It is hot, but it's just that there's no escape from it. It's just there the whole time, and you're just there right. also the whole time. So there's right. no respite. There's no shade. Now, you got four total people on this boat. And now I know this one guy, uh, Ray Jardine is his name, and he rode solo across. And of course, many other people have done it. Yeah, yeah. But I was like surprised, like, why would you want to go with four? You know, like, why not just go alone or with a pair? I'd... Well, actually, because I don't come from any boating background at all, oh, right? So right. I've never been on an ocean. Don't why did they want to do it? I don't it? know. You know, port and starboard and all this. I don't know any of those. I don't <laughs> exactly. know what any of that right, means. right. right. So, uh, you uh, needed so you need somebody experienced to be with, and, obviously. Uh, and I don't know even know how, what way is north or south, right? So I know how, which direction do you <laughs> right. point the boat? <laughs> exactly. um, and also, I kind of thought like, it's scary. Like I don't if you've been in a sailing background or a rowing background, right? You're the ocean is kind of part of you, right? But I don't come from that, so I find right. the ocean scary. Right. So it's nice to have someone who knew what they were doing. Actually, now I finished it, and it was kind of a brutal experience. I thought that doing it with four would be easier, safer, mm-hmm. or whatever. But now I know actually doing it solo is easier, because you you can you get you can escape from it kind of even if it's in your own mind. Mm-hmm. Whereas when there's four of you and you're like touching each other for a whole two months, no escape. You can never escape it, not even for a split second. But then you have psychological impacts. I mean, a lot of people it's like solitary confinement, mm. and so there's that thing that maybe you you would suffer. Some people would suffer. Some people really can't handle solitude. I think solitary confinement for that like 50 60 days actually easier than being stuck in a tiny space with four people though i guess that's just a personal choice the only the only way you could ever get me to do it again would be to do it solo 
How about with, let's say, your wife or somebody you're really close to? 100% not. <laughs> well, my buddy I might, but my is wife your, certainly is your, not. Is your wife listening to this? <laughs> well, you have, you have to shit in a bucket and throw it over the side. I don't think that's... That's <laughs> not romantic? No, it's not exactly the honeymoon she's after. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then uh, the other thing that I learned from your blog, which, by the way, you should really go check it out and see your, uh, your blog. Why don't you plug your blog quickly? It's called onestepforward.com because my name is Johnny Ward, so one step four words with a right. number four number four w-a-r-d yeah. um and in it you have a lot of photos of the the this transatlantic journey and it was funny uh just to like see your your physical transformation <laughs> also and then looking at your hands yeah. completely weathered and worn out from all the rowing that you were doing and the thing that i learned that was fascinating was it you didn't have to fucking row if you did, and you would have still gotten there. Yeah, this is why I feel like, like climbing Everest or running an ultra marathon or cycling across countries doesn't get the media that rowing across Atlantic does, right? Rowing across the Atlantic. But actually, it's kind of a bit of cheating because the this is how little I know about the ocean, by the way, even though I spent two months doing this. There's some, I was going to even make up a word. There's some current thing that brings you from Europe to, to the Americas. Mm -hmm. And even if you didn't row, yeah, it, as long as it wasn't some freak weather, you, it would drag you across in four months, maybe five months. Mm -hmm. So if you row, then you get there in two months-ish instead. I see. So, but having said that, the whole experience is so brutal, it's better to row and get there faster. <laughs> 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 but I guess you could like take a lot more food, you know, take four or five mm -hmm. months worth of food. You're not spending any energy because you're just sitting back reading yeah. a book. And you'll get there. Yeah, but you, you won't know where you'll end up. And, oh, that's true. And also, like, the chances, there's a, you, ha, you get hit by rogue waves that flip your boat over and stuff. So I guess that if you're there on mm. the water for months, the chances of something like that happening are higher. Describe how it was rowing at night. When it's calm, it was okay. And they have a lot of biofluorescence, which is pretty cool. So every time you row, it, it lights up. So that's, like, the beautiful side of it, the Life of Pi movie style. What do you mean? Uh, describe you know, that. Do you know that biofluorescence where, like, if you agitate the water there's some kind of algae that shine blue when you oh, hit it okay, okay so when you're rowing that happens and it's kind of beautiful but that beauty only like lasts for five seconds and the rest of the time you're like fuck i wish i wasn't on this boat and <laughs> 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 um, but the, more often than not is like there's storms because you're in the middle of the atlantic and your boat's mm -hmm. small so in the daytime it's kind of scary seeing these huge building size waves like hit you in the face mm. and you can brace yourself for it but at night it's pitch 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 black so mm. like you're rowing and you're getting wet and there's little waves splashing over you and then suddenly like ju you just get whacked in the face with a huge wave but you haven't seen it coming because it's right. pitch black what about does some of that splash hit the occupants who are sleeping so they're in that like does, it, does it ricochet on they're or? in the under the kitchen table space right right and it's got an airtight lock okay which means inside there is like 40 50 degrees celsius for you that's like what 110 120 yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no oxygen, so every 15 minutes or so you have to like let the oxygen out, because if the water gets in there, if you get if you get flipped upside down, if the water gets in there, the boat will sink. So it has to stay airtight. And if if that stays airtight, when the boat flips, it flips back up the right way. That's the way it's designed. Oh. Okay. But if that's open, the water gets in, and then it's compromised, and you sink. And we were completely unsupported, so we had no support boat, no helicopters or anything. We were we'd be dead. Oh, I see. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> you had to keep it close. So if it flipped. 
and you're inside the compartment, mm. you have to just stay in the compartment and hope that it flips back. I hope that it flips back, but it, like 99 times out of 100, it will flip back and it'll flip back quite instantly. Okay. Yeah. And then you'll just wake up because you've just been flipped well, over. Well, you're not really sleeping because it's so uncomfortable. And when it's not stormy, you leave the hatch door open so air can come in and you can mm -hmm. be a little bit cool. When you have to lock the hatch door, it's so hot that the walls are just dripping you and your on your uh, roommate's sweat and everything because it's no oxygen so it's just condensation mm -hmm. it's pretty disgusting now did did uh did you have a stowaway on your boat like greta thunberg <laughs> she, she was like trying to get across the atlantic and maybe funded this whole trip no i think ours was actually carbon neutral okay so she, would, <laughs> she wouldn't be interested in that <laughs> you know what's your your key lessons from this whole experience wow well i, I it's actually not so much a lesson that I learned from that, but it just compounds it. Is that, you know, like I'm doing bigger and bigger things with my life, whether it's like endurance events or whatever, right? And the whole every country thing and my business and all that. And then people are impressed by it. And, and I feel like the actual act of doing anything is not difficult. Sure, it's painful and there's suffering, but it's like time passes regardless, whether I'm on that boat, those two months of suffering or someone's in the Maldives, the two months still pass and they will pass, right? So they have, I feel like with anything, to achieve anything big, like the only thing you have to do is, is truly commit to it, but actually fucking commit to it, not a fake Instagram quote that says you commit to it, you know? Mm. And once you've anything, like right now we're in Mauritania and I'm trying to organize this ultra marathon through the Sahara, right? And now I feel like I've emotionally committed to organizing that. So I will now do that, right? Because I've committed to it. So then if and when hopefully it becomes a big success and we've got hundreds of runners coming running through the Sahara and Mauritania, people are like, wow, it's amazing that you created this. I'm like, actual creating it is not that difficult. Organizing the cars and the doctors and the nurses, it's tough, sure. But the difficult thing was truly committing to it. And then once I've made that commitment, everything else falls in place. Maybe for you though, because you're one of these types of people that once you commit, you follow through. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But but some people are not like that. I mean, some people, they commit and then they say, ah, fuck it, it's too much work and yeah, then they give up. But you just have the character and the strength of character that once you commit. So for you, it's like, you know that once you commit, you're in. Exactly. And there's no way, but that's your character, I'm saying. That's your values. That's the way you are wired. Mm. And not everybody's wired the same way. I think some people, when they say they commit, I mean, fuck, look at marriage. I mean, people commit, everybody commits and then, you know, half of them divorce. I mean, so committing is like... You know, for some people, it's easier to commit, and the hard thing is executing. For you, the hard thing is committing, and the easy thing is executing. Am well, I, I think at the risk of getting into pedantics, I'd say no, because people okay. who commit and quit haven't committed, have they, by definition? I see what you mean. Okay, <laughs> fair, fair enough. I understand your point. Okay, fair enough. Okay. And we uh, have it easy in the West. Right. Everyone has it easy. Free healthcare, free education. There are, people are looking for problems. Like right. we've never had more opportunities to do everything in our life. If you're if you're if you've got internet connection, if you're lucky enough to be listening to this, mm -hmm. it, um, if you speak English, if you've got a passport that allows you to go visit the countries, there's nothing stopping you. I know everyone wants to feel like a victim, but there's nothing stopping us. Every opportunity to do anything we want. So right. if we commit to anything, truly commit to it though, you know? Right. And David Goggins is a, a big endurance guy and I, I don't really look up to a lot of people because I feel there's not much sincerity in the celebrity world. People are full of shit and they say whatever popular thing that will gain traction is, right? But there's a guy who does all this hardcore stuff called David Goggins and I really love him. And um, he created this concept or at least vocalized this concept of, this, of a cookie jar, right? Mm -hmm. So the first few times you have to suffer to, to achieve something, even if it's something small like a 10 kilometer race mm -hmm. or a marathon or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, 
you go through it and it's shit obviously and you're in pain and your mm. brain is screaming to you stop this is useless what are you wasting your time for go and eat a cookie and sit on your couch <laughs> and but you you fight through that and then you finish it right whether it, like your Africa trip like my every country trip whatever it is something big ideally but you start small and then when you complete that and, and get through that difficult time that's a cookie that you put in your cookie jar right and the next time that things get tough you can revert back and take a bite out of that cookie you're like I've been here before Mm-hmm. And then you've got that cookie in your in your in your mental cookie jar that you can lean on. Be like, no, I've been here before. I can do it. And then you finish the next one. You've got another cookie. And then before no, you've got ten, twenty cookies. And that's how anyone achieves anything. Like now, I feel like I've got lots of cookies from the stuff that I've done, so I can go even bigger. Mm-hmm. And when when times get tough, because I still want to quit. I still have the the things in my mind saying, oh, it's too big. It's too scary. There's a lot of risk. What if people get hurt? What if you lose all your money? Mm-hmm. But I've got so many cookies in the jar that I've earned that I can lean into those cookies and, and, and bite them and be like, oh, no, I can do this, let's do it, so I've committed to it. Johnny, when have you ever quit? Like, there's gotta be times when you've just... Do you know, I was climbing this mountain in Aconcagua, the highest mountain in South America, right? A few years ago, and... Um, it's about 22,000 feet or yeah. 7,000 meters? No, it's not 7,000. Yeah, 7,000, 7, 7, 7, 7, yeah, under... 6,980 6, or yeah, something, yeah. Yeah. so that 24,000 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there was um, a weather warning and we were in the expedition it was like three weeks or something and we were at high camp and which is around 6,000 feet I yeah mean. maybe five and a half so like okay. six, five, 16, 17,000 feet mm-hmm. and there was big storms coming we could see from our weather routers that there was big um, storms coming and the mountain got evacuated right which is fine okay whatever and it, it was going to be bad weather for three, four weeks and everyone got evacuated off the mountain and I'd been training and I'd spent a lot of money and, and we left and I I knew of this rush two Russians that stayed there through those three weeks and they stayed hunkered down in their little shitty base camp tent and I was back in Thailand where I live and I had to go back the following year go through the whole process again thankfully I managed to to get up the mountain but those hardcore Russians they stayed there and they got to the top during that season they sought out the whole shitty weather and I that eats me alive that I didn't stay with them so there well, you're not fucking Russian. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Those guys are built for cold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and hardship. And hardship, yeah, yeah, and struggle. I mean, for God's sakes, there's a reason why they beat the Nazis in Stalingrad yeah. in the winter. <laughs> it's not such a good time to be promoting Russian values, though, is it? <laughs> oh, right. God. <laughs> Fair enough. And that ends this episode of the WanderLearn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we've talked about, go to WanderLearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember F Tapon. That's my first initial and my last name. F Tapon is always my social media username. My website is ftapon.com. Do you want to leave me an anonymous voicemail where you can make a comment or ask a question? Then go to speakpipe.com slash ftapon. Furthermore, if you'd like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. Now, five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.